My subject this morning is simply, don't be afraid. A bit of review of what happens just before this passage that we're going to read today is the miracle that appears, one of the only miracles that appears in all four Gospels, Jesus feeding the 5,000. He feeds the 5,000 beginning with what was given by a small boy of five barley loaves and two fishes. He then blesses it, gives thanks for it, and over 15,000 people are fed. The crowd is so amazed and so pleased and so awestruck by this miracle that they want to hail Jesus as the prophet that was prophesied about in Deuteronomy chapter 18. And they want to make him their king. And the scripture says they want to take him by force. And I mentioned last week, good luck trying to make God do anything. That's kind of why he's God. And they were hoping he would be their leader, political leader, to free them from bondage in the Roman Empire. And sensing what they wanted to do, Jesus retreats to a private place on the mountain in one of the hills that was surrounding the Sea of Galilee. And that's where we pick up the story in John chapter 6. And I'll begin reading in verse number 16. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake of Capernaum. Across the lake for Capernaum. But now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Don't be afraid. I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands because some of you are so spiritual, you're not going to raise your hands even though you'd be lying. Anyone ever been afraid? We all have. Jesus' disciples was a group of men that included experienced and seasoned fishermen, specifically experienced on this particular body of water, the Sea of Galilee. And as they began to row, row back towards Capernaum, a storm arose, not something that was new to them, something they had probably experienced before. They had just experienced one of the most amazing miracles Jesus could have performed, feeding of over 15,000 people, beginning with five small loaves of bread that were the size of about a child's fish, uh, uh, fist and two fish about the size of sardines. Easily, they could have gotten the thought that, well, this was impressive. And now we have all these people who want to join our ranks. We have this amazing movement and army. And easily they could have also been puzzled as to why Jesus wanted no part of it, wanted no part of raising this army to be able to move forward their cause. So they head back in the boat as Jesus retreats to a, solid, a solitude place. And a dark, dreadful, and dangerous storm arose. Anyone ever experience an amazing, life-changing move of God in your life? 
ever go on a retreat weekend or attend a conference or that special church service where just God moved in a unique and powerful way and something special, a milestone, a marker happened in your life. Just something that drew a line that you were different, you were deeper in the Lord from that point forward. I've had those experiences. Only to walk away from that experience and then life happens. It just seems that all hell descends upon you. Sometimes the very next day, sometimes sooner. We need to realize something about mountaintop experiences. They're amazing, and we need them from time to time. But you and I in this world, in this life, we're not designed and not created to live on a mountaintop. And the main reason is because there's too many people and too much work to do in the valley. Our life, our witness must take place in the valley of life where the storms come, where the storms arise, and where the storms can rage. These experienced, skilled men of the sea were afraid, says they were frightened. But then they see something, or someone, coming towards them on the water. And he's not just floating or coming towards them or descending from heaven or He's walking on the water. And they are now even more afraid. Afraid of Jesus? No, not particularly. Afraid of somebody walking on the water? Well, let's be honest. How many people have you seen walk on the water? I'm still waiting for my first. So afraid, so frightened, so awestruck by the visual image of Jesus walking on the water that Jesus' first words to them have to be, don't be afraid. Newsflash, as I opened with, everyone, everyone has moments when they're afraid. No, not me, Pastor. I have great faith. Excellent. You have great faith. And there's no fear in me ever. Liar. Everyone experiences these moments. We live, especially today, in a scary world. Every moment we look at any newscast or talk to friends or something pops up as a notification on our phone, when's the last time something popped up on your phone as a notification and it was good news? It it doesn't seem to happen. We live in a world that's scary. And things happen that just make you wonder what's going on. We just got back from this cruise and we're still going over the memories of it. And of all the different scenes and images and different settings that are just so real, there was one encounter with a couple that I just can't forget. It was a 10-day cruise and this was day Eight. So it was toward the end of the cruise. And we're sitting at one of the restaurants with another couple, and we're, we're you know, talking and, and just kind of sharing and engaging. And they're talking about their journey so far on the cruise, and we're saying how wonderful it's been and how awesome it's been and how there's been no glitches and no problems, and I could just see the look on their face. This is a couple that flew out of Newark Airport in New Jersey. And they flew, their goal was to do what we did, to fly from an airport in the States 
to Portugal where the boat was going to leave from. And they got to the airport and they were there and waiting to board and then they heard something over the loudspeaker that said, we're going to have to cancel this flight because the pilot is too tired. Now, in the greater scheme of life, I don't want my pilot tired flying. So I'm glad he decided, okay, I'm not going to try and fly this thing across the Atlantic Ocean to Portugal. So they had to get another uh, pilot, and they couldn't find one. So they had to put the whole plane up in a hotel and get another flight the next day. And now they're kind of nervous because they're now on the day the boat's supposed to leave, and they're not sure if they're going to make it. So they get another pilot on the next day. They're all boarded the plane, and they have to all get off the plane because there's something wrong with the plane. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm listening to this. And I, I, I'm sorry I started saying before, gee, we have no problems at all. And then they had to get off the plane. They got another plane. They all get on. They get to Portugal, and they get off, and they're safe and sound. And they're there, but none of their luggage is there. Luggage they had planned for a 10-day journey outside the United States. All they had was their carry-on. And not only was it them, there were five other families, all with children, who also lost all of their luggage. And I'm thinking, maybe we should have sat someplace else. I mean, I, I, I feel so bad for them. So we're talking about the journey and the different stops and the different ports. And I'm, I, I don't know why I thought to ask this question. I, I probably should have learned by now. And I say, well, you, they lost your luggage, but they got it to you next day or so. It was day eight, and some of that luggage still had not arrived. Oh and I'm thinking to myself, I look to the, the husband, so what have you been doing for clothes all this time? And that's when the wife piped, piped up, we've been buying clothes <laughs> at every port they've been in. And I'm just thinking about the different situations, not just for them, a couple who were traveling without children, but for a mom and dad with children who all of a sudden have to find something for them to wear for eight to ten days. We talk about fear from the standpoint of something horrific or catastrophic, but it can be something just regular every day that causes concern. And I had to wonder how many more cruises were these families going to be on? Things happen. Concerns are everywhere about everything. And we all know what the scripture says about what happens in life. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 45, where Jesus says that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the, e on the evil and on the good. And he sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. Church, it rains on everybody. That means you and me. But I'm following Jesus, so nothing bad will happen to me. That's not what Jesus said. What he said 
in the scriptures is that when it rains on you, the rain won't overcome you. You will have a victory over the rain, but the rain's coming. We all experience all of life. You had to know that for the rest of the trip and then the journey back, there was a little bit of concern in me. Where's my luggage? <laughs> and so when we got off the boat, because they took our luggage the night before, when we got to the port, we found our luggage. Then we had to arrange special transportation that was outside of the package because we weren't leaving the day. We were leaving the next day. We wanted to spend one day in Rome. So was that going to happen? Somebody was kind to us, and one of the, the buses gave us a ride to a hotel that just happened to be five minutes from the hotel we were staying. That worked. We got back to the airport the next day, gave them our luggage, flew to New York, got to New York. Our luggage was there. I came home. I had a wonderful time, and all I could think about was that, that couple and those families. We all go through seasons of life and all go through different things that we look to moments like that where we want them to be something that will give us an, an extra sense of joy. No one goes on vacation thinking it's all going to fall apart. And yet we plan to do all that we can and yet we have these concerns that arise. We all experience life. But in the midst of any storm, and the truth is, in the midst of every storm, and even in the midst of the worst possible storms, Jesus comes walking into our lives and says, it is I. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And again, the title of my message is the last part of verse 20, don't be afraid. But the first part is the reason why. It is I. There is nothing, church, more powerful than the presence of Jesus. There is nothing more peaceful than the presence of Jesus. And the reality is, no matter what we're going through, there is nothing more promising than the presence of Jesus. Before he dealt with the storm, before he dealt with what they were going through, before he dealt with the fear and the fright that had gripped their hearts, he let them know that he was in their midst. He addressed their need for his physical presence before addressing their need for physical deliverance. He spoke to their hearts, don't be afraid. There were a number of pictures we took on the cruise, and it just seemed in every port we were in, there was a huge Ferris wheel. And Ferris wheels are big. And Ferris wheels go up high. And all of you know, I think heights are of the devil. So I don't go up on high places. I pray for all of you who like roller coasters. And so every place we were in, my wife, who likes heights, <laughs> took a picture of her Ferris wheel and then posted it on social media and said, look at the Ferris wheel, but daddy said no. <laughs> I said, you want to go up there, that's fine. Don't be afraid. It seems like such a simple phrase, and yet the different things and stages we go through in life, not just for the big things, but for the little things. When my son got married this past summer, I wanted everything to go well. 
because I've been involved in weddings and different ceremonies where things didn't go well. I'll never forget a wedding that I was asked to perform up in Yonkers, and that's how I've learned. If I'm doing a wedding far away, I get there the night before, not try and get there the day of, because we're driving up to Yonkers and our car breaks down, and they're waiting. And as much as the important people at a wedding are the bride and groom, they really can't go far without me, because I'm, I'm, I'm needed. So we called various people. We called AAA. My wife had to stay with our car so she could go with it to the mechanic. And the groom hired an Uber to come get me and take me to the ceremony. I was four and a half hours late. They had already started the cocktail hour. And in the middle of it, we stopped in this outdoor canopy that had a covering, so it was completely covered, but it was outdoors. And it had been a beautiful day. And the minute the ceremony started, it poured. I mean, torrential downpour. Now, nobody or nothing got wet, but because it was so loud, you couldn't hear a thing. You, they knew the ceremony was over because the bride and groom kissed. <laughs> None of us want these things to happen. And we get concerned because we want them to go well. And they grip our hearts and they set us back. And Jesus is walking into each of our lives and saying, don't be afraid. Not just at the big things, even at the little things. In our worst moments, on our worst days, do what these sailors did, these disciples did. They invited him into the boat. Their response says they were willing to take him in. So my question today is, are we? Are we willing to take him in? In our worst moments, in the midst of swirling emotion, they took him in. On their worst day, they took him in. Because on our worst day, people turn to all kinds of things. So my encouragement to you, my plea for you today, is on your worst days, don't turn to the world. Don't turn to the news. Don't turn to every other type of escape to try and medicate or do whatever you can. Turn to Jesus and invite him in. Take Jesus in. Jesus did not push his way in, nor force his way in. They had to bring him in, willingly. The result, verse 21, the end of it. And immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. They got to where they were going immediately. They were able to relax immediately. They were able to breathe easier immediately. Now, we want to be real here today. It would be great if all of our storms vanished immediately, but they don't. Yet Jesus comes into each of our lives with not just words, but his powerful presence, saying, don't be afraid. Life can feel sometimes like we're in a boat and we're pulling at the oars to get in one direction and everything and everyone else in our lives is offering resistance. We do our best to try to get traction and try and get movement and it just seems we're going nowhere. Everywhere you turn, there's a new obstacle. And we cry out that what we need in life is change. What we need is for the situation to 
to be different. What we need is for deliverance. What we need is for the storm to go away. Church, what we need is for Jesus to come change us. In those situations, we quote the scripture that says in Isaiah 54, verse 17, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. And I believe that verse. But the Hebrew word there for prosper has a time link on it. Basically means we'll ultimately prosper. So it won't succeed, but the weapon will be formed. And we will experience it at times. And it may be around for a while. That's why we can quote Psalm 23, that as we're going through the shadow, the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil. Why? Because we're not going through it alone. Jesus is there. Jesus' presence in our lives and every day brings us not around the darkness. That would be great. Just kind of pass me over it. No, he brings us through the darkness. He gets us through the violent storms. Jesus carries his children through every challenging season of life. Church, Jesus loves you. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that Jesus loves you? And he loves you completely. And he loves you perfectly. And why is that so important? Why did I even bring that up? In 1 John chapter 4, verse number 18, the writer says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Let's be clear. Your God, the one you serve, is not looking for ways to beat you up. He's not looking for ways to punish you. I've heard many people say when they're going through a difficult season or having a bad day, maybe I deserve it. Maybe I've done something wrong. Maybe God is angry with me. Church, no. Jesus loves you perfectly. Proof? Look at the cross. He loves you perfectly. He walks through every dark season even the dark seasons that we've caused. In this case, immediately they reached the other side of the sea, but that was not the greatest miracle. The greatest miracle was not the calming of the storm or them getting through the storm. The greatest miracle was the calming of the storm inside. Now, another reason for us to not be afraid, see the Hebrew word there for fear in verse 20 also translates to extreme reverence. So it wasn't just that they were afraid, like people would be afraid in those horror movies that I have no desire to ever see. But it's like the fear of the Lord spoken about in the Old Testament especially. And how many can agree with me that what this culture could use today is a healthy fear of the Lord? Tough times will reveal what and who you really trust. Tough times will reveal what or who really moves you. Now, we often get accused as Christians as we come against and stand firm in not embracing the various progressive mindsets and ideas of this culture and the things we see around us. Every time we disagree with something that goes against what the Bible stands for, we're called phobic or fearful. That somehow we're standing against something because we're afraid. Let me be clear to the entire world. I am not afraid of the gender movement, of the transgender movement. 
I am not afraid of same-sex marriage. I am not afraid of gender fluidity. They are just something that stand against the word of God. I am not afraid of those things and of people who are in those things. I am afraid for them. Let me be clear. All those things concern me. And I believe all of those things bring a negative impact to our society, especially when they're normalized. But to be just as clear, none of those things bring fear to my heart. Because I fear God a whole lot more than I can fear what anybody can ever do to me. No matter what they say, no matter what they do, no matter what power they have over me, no matter what authority or influence they can have in my life, I will always have a healthy awe and reverential fear for the God who made the universe and for the one who died on a cross to save my soul. Let's give God praise for that. Yes. I've had those who embrace other ideologies say, why are you afraid of me? I'm not afraid of you. I'm not afraid of anybody. Oh, I don't care for Ferris wheels, but we've talked about that. (laughs) But this fear that we're talking about is more about reverence. I have a healthy respect and fear for a hot stove. I don't need, I've never put my hand on the hot stove. I've seen other people do it. And I've always told my children and everyone, It's good to learn from mistakes, and they don't all have to be yours. They can be somebody else's mistakes. But when I stand in God's presence, when I think about his goodness, when I think about the song we sang, It Is Well With My Soul, and what he did for me, my sin, oh, the bliss of a glorious thought, that my sin, not in part, but all of it, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Hallelujah. So when I think about the nonsense that's going on in our culture, it saddens me. I don't think it's particularly healthy. I don't think it's particularly going anywhere. I think it's self-destructive. But no, I'm not afraid of it or the people in it. Because I have a God who's much more worthy of my reverential fear, much more worthy of my respect, much more worthy of my loyalty and my honor. I'll believe in God before I'll believe in any of this nonsense. I've experienced the peace that Jesus can bring. You know, it'd be one thing if God's word didn't speak so clearly against some of this, but it does. But I love and fear God, respect and revere him. And to a changing world, I'm not afraid of you. I'm afraid for you. Because you're going to have to stand before God one day. And trust me, on that day, you will fear him. To a boy frightened about the idea of speaking in front of people, which is what I was, God came into my heart and now has me doing it on a regular basis. I still tremble at the thought. People say you look so natural and calm, and that's because I've gotten good at hiding what I'm feeling inside. But the truth is I fear disobeying God's call a whole lot more than obeying my own feelings. And I know what God's called me to do. 
And it's not just fear. He's called me because he loves me so deeply. Church, he loves you. And it's that love that can cast out all fear. When he says into your situation, into your life, no matter what you're troubled by, it could be financial, it could be your children, it could be a friend, any situation, a health concern. And he, he is saying, don't be afraid. Oh, it's serious, but don't be afraid. With a love that silences all fear, I can now hear the words. Don't be afraid. Whatever you're going through, whatever you're trying to hold on to, even if you're in a situation that far surpasses heading for a 10-day cruise with a day of luggage, I can't imagine. Don't be afraid. Because even in the midst where it seems everything is lost, Jesus says, it is I. I am here. Don't be afraid. Stand with me, please.